Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Well, former BC Premier Glenn Clark is no longer the president and chief operating officer of one of Canada's largest private companies. Clark joined the Vancouver-based Jimmy Patterson Group in 2001. He turned 65 this past November. Now, the Patterson Group has over 60,000 employees in 97 countries and did $16 billion in sales in 2022. So what's next? Joining us now is Glenn Clark. Glenn, thank you for speaking to us today. Uh, good to be here. Uh, what's retirement feel like? I know it's you're in your, it's it's just a few weeks for actually just a few first few days really. Um, what's it like? Well, I, I'm hoping it's not retirement actually, Jazz. I'm hoping I'm just going to do something else. As you know, I was at the Jim Patterson Group for 21, almost 22 years. As soon as I left the politics, I've enjoyed every minute of it actually. But I thought, boy, it'd be nice to try and do something different for for a little bit. Uh, now you're still on on the on a couple of boards with the Patterson Group, right? Yeah, I'm on the uh, Canfor board and the West Shore Terminals board. So yeah, those are two uh, big BC companies. So it's uh, still be involved in in the in the Jim Patterson world in some respects. Mm-hmm. Now, I, you know, when you're when you're president of a, a large company like the Patterson Group, the days are long. Uh, it requires mm-hmm. extensive travel. Um, but as you say, you thoroughly enjoyed it, but it is a significant workload before you and significant amount of decisions you have to make on a regular basis. Was it a tough decision for you to leave, though? Um, good question. I mean, I've been thinking about it for a while, so not not that difficult by the time I, you know, decided to go. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I, I've been getting up at 4.15 in the morning and I work till you know, later at night and then uh, work on Saturdays and often travel a couple nights a week. So I've been doing that for quite a few years now. So uh, it is, it is, does get a bit tiring after a bit. And uh, it's nice to stay home for a little bit, maybe get in shape and a few other things. So uh, a little change of pace would be nice. What were the first couple of days of retirement like? And I know it's not retirement, but I keep calling it retirement. What were the first couple of days uh, where you were uh, president of the Patterson Group like? Well, I you know I get up at uh, about six thirty instead of four fifteen and get get to work out in the morning and uh, and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm to spend some time. It's nice to spend some time on uh, on myself for a bit and just take a bit of a break mm-hmm. uh, and a little bit of a holiday before doing something else. Um, in regards to um, you leaving the private sector, as you say, twenty one, twenty two years at the Patterson Group, and it is in. Um, a significant job that had a, a huge amount of responsibility to it. But you spent many years in politics as well. Um, a young premier, I think you were 38 years old when you got elected, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, that sounds right. Yeah, and uh, you know you, you have a passion for politics and I would argue a talent for it as well. Uh, you're a great communicator. A- any desire on your on your part to uh, perhaps uh, be involved in, in, I would say politics is the right word, in public service again? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind doing that. I, I'm not uh, obviously interested in in partisan politics as much. Uh, I think those days are those days are behind me. Um, but the idea of actually doing something uh, to give back is very interesting to me. I mean, you. I think most time people 
you know, going to business and then going to politics. And so I'm kind of unusual <laughs> into politics young and then went into business. But having um, having done uh, a pretty big stretch in, in both those areas, I mean, I do think I do have some, some um, understanding at least of uh, of what it takes to both run a company and also to, to understand the the political world. So it'd be nice to do something, but you know, um, I'm not, uh, I'm not desperate for work or anything. So I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm just saying I'm, I'm prepared and, and, and interested, but it's up to others to decide whether they think I can help. What does one from the private sector like yourself bring to the table when it comes to public service? What would you bring to the table? Do you think? Well, you know, for the last uh, 20 odd years, I've kind of been, been running companies, including some of the, some of the companies of the Jim Patterson group, and so, I, you know, it's funny, but um, it's a bit of a cliche, I guess. But, you know, whether it's politics or private sector, it's really about leadership. It's about people. It's about trying to figure out, you know, how to, how to get people working together in, in a common direction. And so I've, you know, been privileged. One of the nice things about the Jim Patterson Group is it's, right, we have uh, – you know, one minute it's uh, shrunken heads at Ripley's, and the next, you know, the next minute it's, uh, you know, magazine distribution or fishing uh, or grocery stores. You know, it's such a diversified company that I managed to get uh, a lot of experience in a lot of different areas, and I think that does, uh, you know, give you a different perspective than you would get even if you were just running one company for a period of time or one, one, one division. So um, that diversity. Um, is uh, something that I think is helpful in politics because in, in 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 public life, you know, you have multiple objectives all the time. You're trying, you know, you're, it's not quite the same as the private sector, but, you know, you're juggling a lot of different interests and in trying to solve lots of complex problems. When you joined the Patterson Group, and I believe it was running a, a sign division at, when you were hired, um, yeah. was your desire one day to work your way up to president, or did you think you'd be running the sign division? Like, the, What was your ambition when you joined the Patterson Group? <laughs> That's a good question. Funny you should say that. Yeah, I started as a manager of the sign group in in, um, in British Columbia, really, the Pacific Division, and then, then became vice president of the sign group, which is Western Canada, and then ultimately later became president of the company and president of some other companies. You know, I didn't really have a plan to to rise, uh, you know, sort of corporate ladder. I was, uh, first of all, I needed a job, this could, quite candidly. I needed to make a living. And I've surprised myself how much I en- enjoyed uh, working on the various companies. And uh, I think I would have been happy, uh, you know, running uh, one of the divisions of the Jim Patterson Group. But Jimmy, of course, uh, took me downtown about 10 years ago and put me in charge of a bunch of the companies, or at least had a bunch of companies reporting to me. And so a little different job, more of a corporate job than uh, than actually uh, on the ground running running some of the companies, which I did for the first 10 years there. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, as, as you know, uh, I did a feature uh, profile for, te- uh, for <laughs> in television for you on you and Jimmy and your relationship. And, uh, you know, Jimmy, I guess in many ways, hasn't changed either. Still shows up to work early, is always engaged. And uh, I think he's about 94 years old now, and, and he hasn't changed, has he? Yeah, no, not, he's there seven days a week still. Um, it's a little later than he is, too, and goes home a little bit earlier, but he's still there seven days a week. And yes, you're right, he's 94 years old. That's an impressive, very impressive accomplishment. Yeah, I recall um, when I was uh, doing that feature, and I believe uh, I, you know, we followed you to Europe and the Caribbean and, 
and the southern U.S. there with your various divisions and you're having your quarterly meetings. And I remember we got into uh, the Caribbean, I think it was the Bahamas, just for like literally 12 hours for a morning meeting. And uh, uh, as we were leaving, it was at the Fairmont we were staying and it was beautiful uh, on the water. And I asked Jimmy what he thought of the hotel and he goes, he's just shaking his head. He goes, Jazz, $450 a night. We're not getting value for this. There's not $450 of value. And the next night, uh, I think we were in Miami, on the outskirts of Miami. It was the Hampton Inn. It was a three-star. The bill, I still remember the bill came out to $106 for the night. Very modest place, very (laughs) clean. And we're eating uh, breakfast in the lobby. So it's one of those hotels for the the road warriors out there and we're eating basically oatmeal out of a out of a cup and i go jimmy what do you <laughs> six in the morning I go jimmy what do you think of this he goes he goes this is what i'm talking about jazz this is good value for a dollar and and, he still, <laughs> and it just it, it, it was classic jimmy and what i loved about that trip to miami specifically was you guys would do the boardroom meetings and you're asking the questions that you need to be asking of, of your division but then he walked the factory floor just talk to everybody there, the, the, the everyday worker who comes in, got a mortgage to pay, and he's interacting with them like they're long-lost friends. Like he, and one of the lessons I took from that was he told me, he goes, Jazz, the head office isn't where the business is done. It's the factory floor. Yeah. You always got to stay in touch with your workers and everyday people. And, and I was really impressed with that. Absolutely. And I used to call it you know, management by walking around. <laughs> you know, you basically... you. Um, you, you really you don't get a sense of what's going on. It doesn't matter. You can see the numbers, and we do, of course, when you're at a corporate office, you see all the numbers, sometimes weekly, the various uh, enterprises that make up the Jim Patterson Group. And so that's why you end up being on the road a lot. It's not because you like being on the road. It's not because you have to. It's because that's where you really find out what people are thinking and where they're at. And, and it's interesting, you know, and not surprising probably to, to many of your listeners, but you know, what's going on you, 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 when you're talking to actual people doing the job, not the corporate guys and not the management people, but just the actual people working, you get a pretty good sense pretty quickly of whether the management is on top of things, whether people fairly, um, what the challenges are, what the opportunities are, because um, those are the people and uh, the point of doing that. And it's been a great lesson for me uh, generally. Absolutely. Uh, Glenn, let's talk a little bit about businesses for a moment. You have to worry about many companies in different sectors, and it's been a very challenging environment when it comes to COVID, and now in an era of uh, hyperinflation uh, and uh, geopolitical disruption uh, as well. Give me a sense of where you think Canada and BC are in that broader context, and are we still a competitive economy? And sort of what keeps you up at night when it comes to the broader economy and our standard of being when it comes to being competitive globally. Well, first of all, we're clearly in uh, in a bit of a slowdown slow as as interest rates start to bite, and particularly in Canada. You know, we have a high degree of people with variable mortgages, and so they get impacted immediately by these interest rate hikes. And I think uh, they haven't; they're just starting to bite now. So my my fear has always been that the central bank will overcorrect, if it will, a bit. They were a bit slow, I think, raising rates. Now they seem to catch up, and uh, those interest rates are tough on on places like British Columbia because housing prices are so high, housing, um, and so so many young people have stretched so hard to get into the housing market, and now are faced with potentially uh, devastating interest rate increases. So that that is a a unique problem, I think, in part to British Columbia because we're so dependent in the Lower Mainland on the real estate industry and on immigration. 
uh, to fuel you know the economic growth that we've seen. So I do ner- I'm nervous about that for for our province. And then of course uh, compounding that is our big forest industry um, for a whole bunch of reasons is under enormous challenge. And uh, and of course it's it is impacted by high interest rates because of housing starts in North America. So the two those two big sort of engines of the economy in British Columbia both are under enormous strain. Um, I do, and, and then of course the last point I'd make is the the tech sector, the high tech sector, which is a sort of a hidden source of strength for British Columbia, is also struggling as the sort of age of relatively easy money or access to capital is kind of drying up at least at the moment. So we got a lot of challenges I think facing us in 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 BC as we move ahead. Uh, we have lots of strengths as well, which is good, but. But I think there's, um, you know, it's a bit, it's certainly soft looking looking ahead the next next uh, certainly next year, I'd say. If you were asked to give advice uh, to a premier uh, in regards to BC's economy, what kind of you know top top line two or three things would you want to advise them on? What would you say that we need to course correct on, or um, uh, perhaps in implementing new policy? What are the two or three things that you think we need to be doing here in British Columbia? Well, I think, I mean, I think. Uh, I think the government is doing some of that. One is the housing affordability question is a, is a, is a serious drag on, on economic growth. So we really do have to grapple with that in a multitude of ways. It's not just uh, homelessness, uh, which is a serious problem, but it's also uh, just for middle-class housing, for, for working people. It's become uh, a detriment to attracting people to, to parts of British Columbia. So the big... big uh, uh, challenge that has to be dealt with, and I, I'm, I'm really pleased to see the government at least uh, talking about it and, and making some steps. But I think much more needs to be done there. So that would be. I think some of the industries like uh, forestry um, really need to sort of drill down and try to find out what we what we want to do here because, but First Nations uncertainty and the issues around that, which again the government's made you know some progress on it, but I think bolder action. Is uh, is actually necessary to really move this industry along. It might be a smaller industry, but it should be um, a stronger one as we as we move forward with the right with the right policy changes. So there's a couple of areas where I think the government can make a difference and is starting to. And I think there's opportunity. You know, I think there's uh, hopeful signs there. What about um, investment certainty? What I mean by that is. Uh, we, when it comes to the environment, we've always been a very much an activist uh, province. People do care about the environment. They do care about climate change, and they want the, the government to be doing something about it. But at the same time, when a company goes through an environmental assessment or goes through various government processes, they believe at the end of it, if there is an approval, there is an approval. Uh, too often now, we're seeing projects that are approved, yet still have to deal with protest and legal wrangling long after it's... Um, uh, things are approved. I remember I was when I worked for the LNG industry. I was in India, sitting in a boardroom there with the, one of the um, major companies there, and they kept asking me, going back to the same questions, why can't you guys get anything past the finish line? Which is, <laughs> which is like you've approved yep. something, yet you know we we've got violence on a natural gas pipeline um, uh, earlier last year. The go- the federal government's had to buy the um, the Kinder Morgan pipeline, the former Kinder Morgan pipeline, the Trans Mountain pipeline. Do you worry about our investment climate in this province as well? Because we were a country about rules, laws, and processes. If something is approved, we've gone through the processes, it should go ahead. But now, even if things are approved, it's very difficult to get things built. 
Well, it's difficult, though, for a reason. I mean, you need you need social license. And I think one of the challenges in British Columbia is people are passionate about uh, where we live. People want to preserve uh, that incredible natural history that we have here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I get it. Um, but you're right. I mean, the, there, you know, there has to be process. There has to be there has to be conclusion. I mean, I think generally speaking, I mean, things are getting done. I mean, LNG, this is a big this project in British Columbia, of course, as you know, is the largest private sector project in the history of the country. So, so you know, it's hard to say it's not getting done. But was there a lot of hurt, hoops to get there? Whew, my goodness, yes. But um, maybe that's okay. And that's a good thing, probably, because mm-hmm. it means that they've taken it seriously. But there is a, um, you know, uh, British Columbia does have these uh, unique advantages. And, uh, and, and so ultimately, competitive um, sort of mindset is is going to I mean ultimately those advantages play them play themselves out in in positive ways I mean if we're if I guess for not careful we can we can have we can really hurt that but I think you've seen so far that things can get done they're just challenging Mm-hmm. Well, Glenn, uh, I promise I won't call it a retirement. It's a new stage in your life. Uh, <laughs> always enjoyed our conversations. Now that you've got a little bit more time on your hands, I may call upon you occasionally to uh, give us your thoughts on the economy and, and, uh, and politics, perhaps, uh, uh, as well. Uh, thank you so much for your time, and once again, all the best to you in this uh, new stage in your life. My pleasure. It's nice talking to you again.